Hello and welcome back to Broken Oz podcast as we head out of January and into February. Out of January blues and into a short month that still feels incredibly long. Just a note, as always, to say that if you enjoy our podcast, if you like what we talk about, if there is a nugget of wisdom that you take from it, or if you generally just want to support us and want us to do well in life and in podcasting, please feel free to visit our Buy Me A Coffee page and maybe stand us a coffee if you've enjoyed it. Or if you want to pick up some training materials, some plans and some ideas, they're also available there. Your support helps us to keep going. And while some of you might not think that that's a good thing, it is really. And we'll see if we can go like that. Right, so, shall we dive in? Let's just do it. Let's just, let's let's just, dive just give it a whirl and see what happens. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Broken Horse Podcast uh, with myself, uh, Dr. Lewin Hines, and my esteemed colleague, Dr. Aaron Jackson. And we are, we're just going to have a chat about a few things today, um, rather than inviting a guest on. Uh, we should probably actually talk about like the plan for guests going forward, um, because there's possibly a few snags that we've kind of hit on that one. But we'll talk about that in a second. So, Aaron, how's your January been so far? I, I never get tired of you calling me your esteemed colleague. It gives me a, a warm glow inside. Um, so thank you for that. That's very kind. My January has been interesting. Um, I It might be old age, but I'm not sleeping particularly well, which is making me slightly grumpier than usual, which is really, really hard to envisage. Um, I've worked out very, very late in the day that sleep is vital for good mental health. So I'm feeling a little bit raw, but I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as yours. Um, so I'm feeling, uh, you know, if, if we are counting our blessings here as the good Lord tells us to do, you know, um, God bless him. Uh, well, he should, it's, it's his father essentially. Um, I think I've got off fairly lightly this January. It went into February and all as well. Yeah, so, well, you're quite right. I've, I've had a bit of a rough January. So I started out with a dose of the old COVID, which um, it was the first time, bizarrely enough, I know it's like much later than all the others, it was the first time COVID has actually got me quite badly. So up until now, I've, I've had bouts of COVID, which like kind of like left me in bed for a day or two, and then I've just been fine, more or less which is, I recognise this quite, quite fortunate. But this one was the first one where I got the breathlessness in the night, where I just felt like I couldn't breathe, um, which bizarrely I didn't find particularly worrying because it was very, very much like the one time I travelled to a cabin on top of a mountain near a place called Big Bear Lake in California, which oh. is a very nice place to visit, but it is very, very high up. And... If you happen to be somewhat sensitive to altitude, as I am, it's it's a bit of a nightmare because I I sort of like all my all my nose and throat swell up, and I just can't catch my breath at night. So it's actually really difficult, and it's a bit like that. Um, but the thing is, it really did knock me for six. Um, and I wasn't able to train. I wasn't able to get back into training for two or three weeks. So I thought, like any good podcaster, Aaron, what I'm going to do is turn this into content. Oh, are we are we turning your, your illnesses into podcast goals, Lewin, by any chance? Absolutely. Okay. I, I think that's the only way forward, to right. basically turn around and say, look, it all went horribly wrong, and now we're going to make this into yeah, I mean, literally podcast gold. So I went and looked up the current advice on return to play. Mm. Now, I don't know, how, how long do you think, if you have a bout of the COVID, mm. should it be before you're back into like full comp competition readiness? Ah, this is a bit of a loaded question because I got COVID, um, and it was initially quite mild, but the symptoms kept returning and I ended up not really being back in play for about two years. 
But that's largely because every time I thought I was better again, I went, I'm going to go and do what I used to do. And I would go and put on my running shoes or whatever and try and do a run and a hundred yards later be wheezing against a lamppost and vomiting violently. So I'm guessing there is a graduated return to play protocol that I did not follow particularly well. There is, and I, I would like to uh, quote Di Binley at this stage, one of her greatest and wisest quotes, and Di has many, many great, great and wise quotes, but one of the best one is, one of the leading causes of death for older gentlemen is acting like they are, in fact, younger gentlemen. Mm. Are we now what would be classed as older gentlemen? By we, we are very older gentlemen. We are if not senior citizens, certainly um, mature, so we say. Yeah, maybe not mentally and in terms of our emotional development, but definitely physically. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, realistically, our, uh, my assumption was that after a sort of like significant bout of COVID, you weren't going to be back on it for a month. Okay. However... However, the official, so it's, this is the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, which is BASES. Mm -hmm. They've come out with a little thing that says, and everything is, is like based on the fact that you're going to try a bit more. So you're going to push yourself, see how you feel, push okay. yourself, see how you feel. And they kind of say that you can just keep going forwards until you you run into what they call a red flag and then you go back a step and then you spend like a minimum of a certain number of days at that step but if everything goes well they reckon you can be back to kind of like getting ready for a competition within 10 days okay because this is this isn't a return to exercise protocol it's a it's a return to competition protocol isn't it yeah, essentially. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I mean, it's, it, or it could be a return to competition training. I, I don't think if you, you've had about the COVID and then you've had like 10 days getting back into it, you're going to be like 100% ready for a competition. But I think this is like, you can still compete as long as you don't have any of these signs and symptoms. Right. Um, now, I think that's a little bit light, but they do have like, oh, no that's a little bit optimistic, but they do have like very, very clear markers for all of these things. And so they, um, they start with stage one, which is, um, this is any, anytime you have below neck symptoms, it's just like move around. Don't be completely static, mm -hmm. but just like walking. What they call it is the walking and the activities of daily living. So, going to the shops for a pint of milk. Of course, because we on Broken Horse Podcast know exactly how much we are in touch with the working man. We know exactly how much a pint of milk costs because we regularly walk to the shops to buy one. Indeed. Okay. Um, 59p at the car. Yeah. Um, however, I, I think you'd be vastly better off if you went for the four-point option. Well, because, yes. Know, like bigger and like... It, and you don't have to go back there as often. Yeah. Um, and given the amount of coffee I drink, I get through quite a lot of milk. But, um, so you can do that as long as, as soon as like the symptoms are like below your neck, that's mm -hmm. like, that. that's the big thing. It's like, stop any anything that resembles training. Once they move away from that, and they basically say five days on that. Okay, okay. so it's like, don't don't try anything outside of that. Um, once you are so above neck symptoms, you've got light activity. So after five days, or if your symptoms are not below the neck. So if you have a sore throat and a stuffy nose, you can still do these. If you have any kind of cough, if you have any kind of like nausea or difficulty breathing can't do this so they've got light activity once you you are recovering from these symptoms which is walking light jogging stationary cycle or light resistance training and you have to maintain a heart rate of less than 70 percent of your maximum 
it helps if you know what your maximum is as, yes. the, as the old 220 minus your age thing is not necessarily the best way of working it out but as a rule of thumb if you really need to i guess yeah um and you, you should also this is quite important they say you should only exercise for less than 30 minutes okay so, so it's not you you can't go for like an hour ut2 even if you're monitoring it on your heart rate really closely just keep it like two lots of 15 minutes okay um and you should monitor this with like kind of subjective symptoms is it getting worse then stop doing it go back to stage one and also what your resting heart rate is and do you feel like getting back into sport if you don't don't get back in sport don't try and go harder Oh, that's great because I don't really feel like getting back into sport. I think I should just slip into senescence from this point on. So that's good. That's good advice. I like that. That's, that, that's good. Um, then, so once you've gone through two days of that, so if you can maintain your light activity for two days, you go into stage three where you increase the frequency and duration and intensity of training but it's not really that much of an increase because it's only up to a maximum of 80% heart rate. So UT1, which is, which is interesting because our heart rate bands and their heart rate bands in running and cycling, they don't mesh. They're not the same thing. That's because that's rowers are great and r runners and cyclists aren't. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what we need to do. <laughs> Rowers are fundamentally better. That's what my wife always says. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, so at this point, you, you're actually into what could be described as light training. So like the first week of a training program, you can do, you know, you can do a few sort of like 10 minutes at rate 20 and you can go for like an hour carefully monitored row and stuff like that. Mm. And again, it's all, and it's all based around this idea that as soon as you feel like you're getting worse, you immediately go back a step that right. that's so even though it says, Oh, you can be back to competition in 10 days. It's much more of like, you can be back to competition in 10 days as long as everything goes perfectly. Yeah, yes, I see that. It feels a little bit like, it feels like a variation on the graduated return to exercise following an injury, like a grade one or two muscle pull. You yeah. Know, where you, you have to give, you, you keep moving around, but you're not doing your exercise because the, 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 the old fashioned orthodoxy was, oh, you pull, you pulled something, rest it, you know, um, rice, you know, elevation and ice and yeah. all of all of that kind of stuff. They then worked out that if you actually just do nothing for two weeks, you end up with very, very stiff scar tissue that's in danger of pulling again. So keep moving around after 10 to 14 days when the fibers start to knit, gently start to use it again and then kind of feel your way back in from there. So it feels like the kind of protocol that we've we've met before, you know, as- I as think so, I, th I think very much. But I think the whole thing is if you were, let's say a bit like you or me and quite stubborn and quite bullheaded and quite competitive. Never been said about either of us at all. That's, that's a big fat lie, isn't it, Aaron? It may be, I may be being economical with the actuality as I believe a politician once said. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think both you and I would look at the top line of this kind of like this five stage return to competition and basically said, 10 days bollocks i can do this in nine yeah and and that's not the idea the idea is you constantly move forward when you can as soon as you hit a barrier you go back and you don't you don't stick to a training plan you stick to a recovery backwards and forwards so yeah. they, they, they do say i think it's yeah it is after a minimum of 10 days, you can re re resume normal training progressions. But as soon as like those subjective symptoms are getting worse, your resting heart rate, 
your rate of perceived exertion for a given like pace and stroke rate, whatever it is, mm. is like really out of whack, you go back at least one stage. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially for people like rowers, but also generally, um, I used to see a physio um, up in Newcastle when I was when I was a lot younger called Steve Robson, and he said the hardest thing for him as a physio, the hardest thing was getting an athlete, whether it was a footballer or a Bladen Harriers runner or someone who who did X competitively, they something happened. The hardest thing was saying, you need to do this like this. So he would go, okay, so you've got a grade two hamstring pull. We can get you back to running in about two weeks. And they'd go, so I'll be fine to go out on Wednesday. This is on the Monday. No, what we need to do is this. And we should get you back to light jogging in about two weeks. Yeah. So that means there's a race this Saturday. I'll be fine for that, won't I? Part of the whole thing about being an athlete is not accepting your limitations. And, and by progressive training, you can move your limitations somewhat. You can start to push them. But once you have that mindset of, if I, if, if I do this, then I can do this, it's very hard when someone says, actually, you need to stop now and you need to think about doing this. And as you say, you and I, in our psychological makeup, have a certain propensity for... I kind of feel all right. I'm going to give it a go now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And most of that, I, I, I don't think we're necessarily alone in that. Do you? No, no I, th I, think, I think quite possibly quite a few of our listeners might say that that might have been said about me once or twice in the past. Yeah, I think. Well, it's something I've thought about a lot. If you are a rower you have to learn to deal with pain because rowing is fundamentally a very uncomfortable sport. From the moment you get in the boat, the handle feels weird and you end up with calluses and, and, and pressure points on various, but, and, 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 you know, even at the peak of fitness, you know, a, a, a 21K has a certain amount of discomfort in it. A 2K has a screaming amount of agony in it. Dennis's pyramids of doom will literally leave you wrapped around a toilet bowl, coughing blood into it. And you accept that as, well, I do this because it means I'm a rower, but I also do it because I want to be better as a rower. So it comes wrapped up with, well, it hurts. It's supposed to hurt. And there's 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 good hurt and there's hurt that's not good for you or your body or your, you know, potential future. Now, this is, this is quite an important one because okay. um, a lot of the things we've talked about, like RPE and like the, the things that should set you back in these stages so if you're on stage three and your resting heart rate is elevated oh you should go back to stage two it's like well elevated by how much etc cetera, etc cetera. what this so where i think this uh document from bases is really really good mm. is um it has a bunch of clinical red flags so these are the things, whereas stop immediately, go and speak to the doctor, get them to listen to your heart rate, uh, maybe maybe even go to A&E, but definitely consult a physician if you're experiencing any of these within the graduated return to play. Um, and these are severe or increasing breathlessness, mm -hmm. fainting. Now, mm -hmm. If you have significant, um, like onset, like kind of rapid and immediate onset of depression or anxiety, mm. chest pain. Mm. So, like, don't don't like. Oh, it's oh, it's just a strain. Just like, just go and speak to the doctor. Just go and have a chat. Palpitations, right now, Aaron. Do you know what palpitations are? Yes, because I've had them in my graduated return to. Um, that, you know, trying to exercise again while having COVID and long COVID. All of the symptoms you've just ticked are are, are symptoms that I've that I've also ticked, and it's really quite worrying because the, there's that thing of if it hurts, it must be good for us. But also because we get used to our mind driving us into places where our body doesn't want to go, we kind of go, "Oh, it's fine that I can't really breathe. Oh, it's fine that that. Oh my. Oh, I've just passed out. It's not fine at all." You, you really have to be very aware of your body. And this sounds really weird to say to a bunch of athletes who are listening, 
you have to be aware of your body in a way that you're not as an athlete because you are used to overriding it by going, I will just push through this. Very true. Um, but yeah, palpitations can it is simply in the medical literature described as an awareness of one's own heartbeat. Oh, now, I, I, would have gone for, I would have gone for elevation or some kind of um, arrhythmic tachycardic um, symptoms. I think realistically, the palpitations that we're going to describe here is an unusually high heart rate, heart rate, or an unusually slow heart rate recovery. Mm. Okay. Um, then we've got persistent headaches, which is not good. Well, I wouldn't call you a persistent headache. I quite like you, so I never really <laughs> take that symptom. And finally, um, overall, overall or excessive fatigue and failure to recover. Okay. And so if, you, if you've got any of those, and then you're just like, let's say you just do a, what is it, 10K or anything like that, just like nice, easy one, and it leaves you wiped out, again, just go and have a chat with the doctor. Yeah. Yes. So. Don't, don't do what I do and, and, and spend the first six to nine months going, I'll be fine. I'll give it a couple of days and I'll try again. And then eventually go to the doctor where they go, well, you, you have all of the classics now, what are now classic symptoms of long COVID or post viral fatigue syndrome. Uh, this is going to take a lot longer than you think. Um, yeah. Because you didn't just have COVID. You had a, you had kind of a cluster of bugs over a two or three week period. Didn't you? I don't want you to go into, uh, into the gory details of the toilet bowl. However, you've had one thing after another and that's got to have knocked well, yeah, it wasn't, it, 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 it was a, there, there was a definite kind of, I mean, in, just in general, down in East Kent, where I am, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of it going about. It's not necessarily been COVID, but there's been the full range of winter flus and stomach bugs and everything like that. It's been going through mm -hmm. schools, it's been going through universities. Um, and yeah, so I, I got COVID, which kind of like, wiped me out for a couple of days and then I started slowly getting better and the week after that I got like a vomiting and sickness bug and actually I felt a lot worse during that mm. that was like that was like really really horrible um for 24 hours and yeah I so it was it was a lot of different things so like full-on of the old post-viral fatigue syndrome which is slowly i would say it's slowly going away i'm i'm actually getting back into it are you getting back into it by following a graduated return to exercise or are you basically going i there's a race this wednesday i'm going to give it a go i am i am definitely following I, i'm definitely obeying the uh the categories that i've been set i'm not a full training i'm not i did the first kind of proper piece of work this week which has been about three or four yeah i think i think it's close to four weeks after i was ill okay and um that actually went it went slowly but it went quite well okay. um are you noticing so, you know, are you know is this a little bit like the magnesium deficiency and the medication that that the the kind of basic building blocks are still there but the top end hasn't quite returned yet uh, I, that's probably very accurate. I, I think, um, no, actually I'd, I'd say sort of like the building blocks aren't there. The, the building blocks have been scattered. Um, right. and they're I'm slightly putting them back together. It's, the it's like, there's, there's, there's no two ways. Like, you know, I'm everything I'm doing is kind of like five to 10 heartbeats a minute. Oh harder than it was last or in December when okay. everything was going incredibly and wonderfully swimmingly. Um, and I was no longer magnesium deficient. You, I mean, you, you uh, uh, this is just like a classic example there. And I hope you realize this. We are talking, we are discussing our accumulated health crises. We are, we are mature citizens now. It's incredibly depressing. Um, you know, because, uh, Actually, it reminds me of something my grandma, who lived to 96, said, which is, uh, when I look in the mirror, I wonder who the hell is that old person looking back at me? I still think I'm 18 in my head. Um, it kind of creeps up on you and then smacks you across the head to do the years. 
Um, were you performing well in December also because you were eating phenomenal amounts of Stalin and maybe you should consider um, that as part of your graduated return to play? I'm out of Stalin and they're not selling it anymore, the bastards. Um, no, I, I do actually... Th this, is, this is an important question that I don't think sports science pays enough attention to is marzipan laden cake actually a sports nutrition product it's a question we should have asked andy beetroot i am of the opinion that his work would be much more widely known if he'd shown a direct link between performance and cake um but it is that thing of rowers get to get to eat cake and cyclists don't uh, and we have a much happier time because of it yeah, basically. I, I do think that kind of, yeah, the, the pro-cake nature of, of rowing, I think, um, is a major plus for our sport. And um, I do sometimes feel a bit sorry for the cyclists out there who um, have to have black coffee and a wafer. Yeah, but um, let's not feel too sorry for them because they are, after all, cyclists um and rowing needs all of the help that it can get really because even though you and i extol the virtues of rowing um we're not in a great place as a sport are we at the moment all right okay so yes i i've been I've, I've been having a look at the figures and so everything that i say in the next kind of like 10 to 15 minutes on the podcast has to come with the caveat that it comes from a survey that is conducted on an almost constant basis. This is the Active Live survey from um, Sport UK. Hmm. And it's a very, very big survey. It speaks to about 300,000 people a year, one way or another. So on the internet, or they fill out a form and they send it back in the post. And it talks to them about what they've been doing activity wise for the past year. So it'll say, okay. have you done this in the past 28 days? Have you done this in the past six months? Have you done this in the past year? And it is, it is one of the most comprehensive surveys that's done. Um, to give you an idea, the crime survey of England and Wales, which is probably the most comprehensive, um, only, uh, only speaks to, I think, 700,000 people a year. So it's of a similar thing. So whenever you say, oh, the government isn't taking like activity and stuff like this seriously, yes, they are. Several governments have been doing this. It was set up under the last Labour government. It has been continued through the current Conservative government. Governments, or at least the civil servants in um, the Department of Health and the Culture, uh, the Ministry of Culture, Media and Sport, are actually taking activity quite seriously. They they are talking about it. But the problem is because very, very few people roam in the grand scheme of things in a We're nation. a niche sport. We we are a we niche sport. We are a niche sport. We are the best sport, but we are the we are a niche sport. Um what it means is that when you ask people questions, mm. you can get the answers can you can struggle to get accurate results and the only sort of like really good thing to look at is the trends hmm. of what people are doing so if i say for instance in checks notes may um between may and may in 2016 to 17 192,700 people said they had rowed at least twice in the last 28 days on the water that is arguably it might be 250,000 it might be 150,000 or we can really say with a fair degree of certainty it was a lot more than the number of people who went rowing in between May and May in 2020 and 2021 it was almost three times as many people. Um, and since then, it's it's kind of an upward slope, mm. but it has not recovered. 
And when you think that um, half a million middle-aged men between the ages of 40 and 50, so men like us, turn out every Wednesday night to play at their local five-a-side um, pretty much week in, week out, we are, we, we are a niche sport in many ways. And thinking back to some of the things we talked about with Michael Cannon about some of the issues facing clubs, some of the things we talked about with Mark Davis about some of the issues facing rowing, while we are wonderful and there is a joy in a poetry to moving a boat well through water, um, it's a sport that demands a lot of time to do, but also a lot of time to get good enough at it to want to do it, if that makes any sense. Um, yes. If you're now, someone who's I'm, kidding I'm, at home, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I think one thing that we could do is have non-elite boats. I, I really do think there is something to be said for like training. So they're out there. They look a lot like coastal fours, mm. but they're wider, they're more stable, they're heavier, and they're, they're just training coxed fours. You mean like a, like a, like a C-class sort of thing? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And they're much, much easier to row. They, they don't wobble all over the place. You can take them out in um, rough or windy conditions, not rough conditions, and you don't have any worry about um, whether or not they're going to like tip over or, or get swamped or anything like that. And people can learn to row in them. And you can row really quite well mm. and have fun rowing and get some exercise rowing outdoors. And I think that not enough is made of those because I think those boats would be, they're much easier for people who just want to row once a week. Yeah, I think there's a there's a snob value to, oh, I'm taking a fine single out. Oh, we're, we're going out in our four. Oh, we're going out in our quad or in our double. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm, I have a reasonable amount of technique, if not fitness left, that that's okay. I can kind of do that. But if you're a novice who's just done a learn to row course and... It's really, really hard to learn to row well. It's really, really hard to learn to row well when the boat is going all over the place because you're with you're with three other people from a learn to row course who's just finished um, trying to get the basics down. And there is a snob thing to oh, you know, fine rowing and fine rowing shells and get out in a C class, get out in a in a stable bottom tub and just knock it up and down the river and get used to what it feels like and have a bit of fun and get a bit sweaty and don't don't put pressure on yourself to we're going out in our four and we're going out now this now that because yeah. it's a it's a it's a technique driven sport and the technique takes a long it's like a musical instrument it takes a long time to develop to a degree of fine control yeah now one thing i would say is that since the pandemic since the lockdowns during the pandemic, when we weren't allowed to speak to anyone or spend time even outdoors, if you if you remember that first mm. like lockdown, it was really quite serious. That that was like the ultimate low point, but that was a low point for like loads and loads of different activities and different sports. And uh, to give you an idea of just how like how much of a cost there was in. Um, in health terms, we also do this interesting thing. It's another very, very big survey, but it's a much simpler one to do. So every year, all the year sixes and all the year twos, I believe, are weighed and measured. Did you know that, Aaron? No, I didn't, actually. So in, in school, every year, I mean, you, I think you probably would think about it because at some point you'd have got like, a, a letter home from school and then mm. said your child is this height this weight um this is their bmi as a percentile for somebody of their age i mean pretty close to the nearest day they can do this she or he is 62nd percentile bmi yeah. this is within the healthy range and the healthy range is really broad it, it runs from like 
something like seventh percentile up to 90th percentile and everything within that they just consider yeah that's all right um but here's a really interesting thing if you follow the levels of obesity in year sixes Mm -hmm. um it's a it's kind of the, the figures are sort of made to look a bit more scary than they actually are for various reasons. Don't, I, I won't go into it now because, but all I'm going to say in those lockdown years, mm. the chance of your year six being obese was uh, something like twice as high as it was the year before the year after. Okay. So um, literally we took them out of school yeah. We put them in the house, say so you're not allowed to run around, you're not allowed to Charge go around to your mates mate. and have like sword fight nerf battles or you're not allowed to spend all day making dens and whatever it is, whatever kids choose to do with their friends. And also some adults, I'm just throwing that out there because I quite like sword fight nerf battles in dens. Um, I'm, I'm, it, it, it's, it's a positive. I'm a big believer it dramatically made kids fatter. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I mean, even just a bit... Okay, so we, we had Sally Kettle on a while ago, and you and I um, both know the realities of what happens to girls as they grow and how many of them drop out of sport and what ages they drop out of sport. But there is a massive value, even if you are not, by nature, um, a sporty child. And I think all children are somewhat fundamentally sporty until they until they aren't, if that makes any sense. But yes. there's a huge, there's a huge energy value in walking to school, um, going from classroom to classroom, charging around the playground. Whether it's you know it doesn't have to be football. You could be you could be a dragon being chased by a wizard. You could be, you could be an octonaut. You could be whatever children are currently watching. But that that hour and a half where where you are out in the fresh air and bouncing around like a rubber ball is massive. It's an yeah. basically hour and a half of free exercise that that we don't get as adults. And. Much as I, I will give Joe Wicks full props for his efforts during the lockdown, it is not replaced by a 20-minute aerobics session in God front no. of the TV um, I mean, no, once a day. A burpee is a burpee, and it's a fine and noble exercise, and the Navy SEAL thing of 100 burpees in 10 minutes, they are basically pussies because anyone can do that. I've done it. I've, I've, I've done it, and I'm not a, a Navy SEAL. I, I've seen a SEAL. Maybe he belonged to the Navy. I don't know. Maybe he was trained to eat single scholars by, by someone from, from the Royal Andrew. I have no idea. But yeah, you just want to charge around and and just be a child, even as an adult. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I would I would say that is a, a very clear um kind of indication of the costs of lockdown. I'm not trying to make a political point here. I'm just saying like lockdown pluses as well as minuses it, it wasn't like a straightforward decision mm. um but the absolute nadir of people sort of like having rode at least twice in the last 28 days was may um 2020 to may 2021 um mm. somewhat unsurprisingly it has since more or less doubled then but the problem is it's been on a steady downward decline. Um, now we've only got figures going up to November 2021, mm. but um, no, November 2022, and they are two thirds of the peak of uh, May um, 2017. So there is rowing is not so rowing on the water and actually for that matter rowing on the rowing machine which is more popular because it's used in gyms all the time mm. is still is a sport whose participation levels i'm not going to talk anything about club membership or national governing body membership but participation is going down and i think we need to do more and that may be a technological fix that may be encouraging indoor rowing it may be whatever it is but i think that we need to accept that there is a little bit of a problem 
that needs a solution. We need bums on sliding seats. Okay, I'm going to throw this out here. And is it... Rowing showed an upturn, like in the post the post Sydney era, when we 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 didn't dominate the rowing lakes of the world, but we we were high profile winners. Rowing was, you know, Britain's most successful Olympic sport, and no cyclist you can't argue. We have no Jiffy bags of Dr. Freeman in our history. You may have more medals, but we have at the moment a cleaner slate. Um, is it anything to do with the fact that we? crashed and burned fairly spectacularly in Tokyo. And that's no reflection on the athletes. Um, but we didn't really get, we didn't really get our final choices right in the post Jürgen era. Will we see an upturn when in Paris this year, we sweep the floor with the perfidious French, um, Belgians, Dutch, various other nationalities and basically dominate the Seine? Um, they're not, they're not they, but, but you know. No, they're not. It's just like some big, big ditch somewhere. I I, oh, I certainly hope so. I I think again, I think again the height of it was that was the post Sydney era when we had an incredibly famous victory with an incredibly famous group of athletes who mm -hmm. were a constant inspiration. Even if like you go to Athens and it was only one gold medal for mm -hmm. the men's sweep or oh, well men's right full stop one gold medal that's it that was that was all we brought home that was enough to hang that kind of continued participation on but i think there is also and i'm going out on the limb here i'm going to say what i think that we really rowing is a very time intensive sport mm. and I think more than anything else, people these days who have the inclination to get out there and do an endurance sport don't have a lot of time. Yeah, there, there is that. I would rather, and you know, I hate to say it, I would rather put a pair of shoes on and go for a run than uh, on a Saturday morning than spend, you know, three and a half hours um, for a, a, an hour in a boat, uh, basically. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, again, it comes back to this thing. It's that, so it's like you and I are basically, you know, we're, we're sitting here with like 40 years of rowing experience between us. I've, yeah. And it's so when I kind of look back at like a lot of the people I've rowed with, mm. most of them haven't lasted that long. Yeah. Most of them are now, they are cyclists, they do CrossFit, they've got fat, um, they've, you know, etc um you know they 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 have engaged in the performance enhancing effects of stolen or without the performance um <laughs> and you know i think we're quite rare in that and so sort of possibly slightly naive in that idea that sort of like yeah we are we are literally going to go right forever yeah, I mean, I, I had a break from the sport when I was in Sheffield for various reasons, but yes, it's it's odd. I mean, this comes back to something we've talked about with regards to do 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 lifer rowers have a certain psychological proclivity or affinity with smacking a boat up and down a river in 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 the early morning? Um, it's, we should pr probably get in touch with a psychologist who who's worked with rowers and, and ask if there is a common denominator there. The other question: or are people just mad. Is that what it comes down to? It's like, oh, you yeah. just bonkers. All just bonkers, um, probably. But there's also the other thing of, and this comes back to what Michael Cannon was talking about, and also at. Um, so, it's the volunteerism aspect, and with the club that I'm currently with at Tyne United, wonderful club, wonderful people. But if just a few of the people who organize events, umpire events, martial events, work in the kitchen at events, spend the week before making cakes and scones and batches of soup and going to Lidl or Costco and buying in all of the bits and pieces. If all of those suddenly were, if even what actually, if even one or two of them just went, I'm not doing this anymore. I love my club, but I'm, there's a massive gaping hole for that club to fill. 
yeah. lot of clubs um, a lot of clubs are in very very precarious positions a lot of them ours has a great junior program because i think a lot of a lot of our parents um see the benefit of fresh air and exercise and a, and a, and a skill-based you know skill-based sport you know which is what hodge is doing at london youth rowing but if if the people who are running our club go i haven't got time clubs then in trouble yeah um and i i think you know again i'm kind of basing this on my life I don't have a lot of time. This is why I just like so much of my activity now is just on the rowing machine. It's just knocking up and down the virtual river on, on Exa. Mm. Um, because that, that's what I have time for. You know, if I've got to cook for the kids yeah. and I mean, I'd also say that the, my ability to get up at six forty-five in the morning to be at the rowing lake for 7.45 or, or the boathouse for 7.45, that, that is gone. I, mm. I don't have that ability anymore. Um, even though I have like a very nice rowing boathouse within like half an hour of me, just the idea of like, okay, right, I've got to get up on the weekend before 7 o'clock is, I mean, that is painful I, yeah I, I lose enough sleep during the week when I'm working and I have to be up on time and the idea of not catching up on the weekend is is really quite hard yeah and there's, um, and there's also that thing and we, we are of an age and I think we both talked about it privately where the days of you know you could wake up at six o'clock do a session before work work all day go back to agecroft do another session then go out for a bite to eat a movie or a coffee roll into bed at half ten fall into a deep and dreamless sound sleep for eight hours, get up and do it all again and repeat has, has gone. I think as a lot of the evidence shows, as you get older, even without various medical complications or life pressures, sleep becomes something that can be a bit more hit and miss, if not just downright insomniac about it. Yeah. Um, it can be very, very hard. Um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't quite know, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw out ideas out there, starting training at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, uh -huh. easier boats for people to row. So like kind of, you, what did you call them? C-class boats? Yeah, we've got, we've got C-class boats, um, which the learn to rowers use and also tend to be uh, rowed by other rowers once a year when um the club does the um newburn to tynemouth row which i think is about 20 26k sounds about right 26 kilometers yeah so basically you you row from the boathouse at um newburn all the way down to the north sea and tynemouth rowing club once a year which is you know fun um also not an experience not to be repeated it's bloody awful. You cross the finish line and then you carry on rowing for what feels like another seven hours until you reach Tynemouth Boathouse. Um, so not really very... Yeah, so C-class, co coastal class, basically. Yeah, C-class. Yeah. It's it's basically like a what they used to call a, an Oxford tub. It's got a wide bottom um, yeah. and you know, there's nothing wrong with a wide yeah. bottom. Let's not talk about wide bottoms. Let's just not go there, Aaron. As Spinal, as Spinal Tap once sang in the classic song, Big Bottom, Big Bottoms, Big Bottoms, talk about Big Bottoms, my girl's got one. Um, and that could be a C-class boat. Indeed. Um... So are you are you going to you're going to keep tapping out on the um, on the rowing machine because it's it it is a good thing to do. Are you going to look at other sports? Oh well, this okay, right? So th this has actually been um, so I've had I principally have two New Year's resolutions. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Utterly yeah. cheesy though they may be. Um. I have several, okay. one is not to have New Year's resolutions, uh, but but yes, I, I have some. There are some things that I would like to do, um, okay. you know, and, and I'm guessing that you've made some. Are you going to? Um, well, I, I have two. Okay. One is get more sleep. Um, mm -hmm. So go to bed at a sensible hour and okay. um, therefore not feel like I cannot exist without coffee. Um so there's that one. The next one is mm -hmm. I'm going to get to around about 
April, May, mm. then I'm going to radically change my training because I have been going nuts on what could be straight line sports for mm. about 20 years. So yes. I've been a rower yeah. essentially for 18 of those 20, no, call it 16 of those 20 years. You were a Since swimmer. 2004. You were a swimmer. I was a swimmer before that. So yeah, that, that was another straight line sports. Like how fast can you go in straight line? In between the times when I haven't been a rower, I've mostly been a mountain biker or a cyclist of some description. Or an army cat racer around Manchester. Uh, um, yes, but um, after being asked about that by the police, I no longer discuss these matters. Um, it's a long time so, ago, far, far away. What I'm going to do is uh, around uh, April or May, I'm going to change my training radically. I'm going to be training no more than four times a week on a rowing machine, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be training for sprints. So I'm going to be training for 500 meter and a thousand meter in one minute. I'm going to see how well I can go for those. Okay. And given that I'm only going to be training like three, four times a week, I am going to try another sport. Okay. I was already sitting down. You could have given me some warning on this. Um, so I made sure I was secure on my seat. Can I ask a question, Lewin? Yes. Not the question is is the question isn't is this going to be the end of our friendship? Are you going to develop ball skills? Are you going to try a sport that involves hand-eye coordination? Right. Okay. Right now, I, I know. I know the kind of uh, what shall be said the traditional. How should we put this? The traditional stereotypes about rowers is that they're so incredibly fit, but they they can't catch essentially. Um, I've actually I've actually been remarkably good at some sports mm-hmm. that so involve actually spotting a ball and doing something with it. So um, I may be gonna I'm gonna try squash again. Oh, good one. And because squash, squash is in a very similar situation to rowing. It's in decline, but it's so in the, in the way that's like, we're losing rowers to park run Mm. and we're losing rowers to cycling and to triathlon. And there are all these other options out there. Squash players like the, the proper small ball squash, they have racquetball. And racquetball takes people away from squash. So I'm going to be trying squash and racquetball. Isn't racquetball kind of the Americanized version of squash? Uh, No, the Americans do play squash. It's kind of, it's the C-class of squash. So you have have a much bigger, much bouncier ball um, and rules that make it slightly less savage to win a point. I remember I so I've 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 always kind of went yes I kind of get the point that if you're if you're big and can generate a phenomenal amount of power and aren't very good at ball sports there's always a place for you in rowing but I have to say that I um I've somewhat booked that trend as I've always been okay at most ball sports I mean in the in the northeast you know, which is the has produced more professional footballers per capita head than anywhere in the country since the Second World War. My footballing skills were not great, but I, I opened the batting and the bowling at university for cricket. I played tennis to a reasonable level. I loved squash. It was basically it was basically legalized violence with a racket and a ball. I, I it's an incredibly gladiatorial. You're in a pit, essentially, essentially aren't you? Yes. You're in a dungeon with a weapon and mm. an opponent. Yes. And and you you are literally savagely beating each other with I, said weapon via the medium of the small rubber ball. Via the exactly. And there's all of those things about it it's squash etiquette. If if the shot is on but the person is standing in front of you, you call it, except when you get to a certain point where you just take the shot anyway and, and give them a bruise on, on in the middle of their back, or they give you a bruise in the middle of their back and really sorry, didn't see you. It's like, yeah, okay, I get this. And also it's it's the only other sport, uh, apart from rowing, that's actually brought me close to hacking, as in terms of throwing up on the court it it gets the heart rate way it up. does 
It does. Um, and so that's one of the two options. The other one, which which my children have engaged in, um, are you going to do a combat? Karate. Good man. I, I I may I may learn I may yet learn this year to become a barehanded killing machine, and not just of stolen of of other people. Um, um, yes, or at least punch bags. I started doing taekwondo when I came back from Sheffield to regain some kind of physical confidence, and I have to say. I absolutely loved it. I don't think you'll get this in karate, but the thing that turned me off Taekwondo was you have to buy into the philosophy very much so that it's the best martial art in the world and you have to learn everything in Korean and you have to learn the the the, the seven koans and the, the history of... Whereas I basically wanted to learn how to do a sidekick that that, that, that felt really that good. That would stop a horse. Uh, yeah. Hmm? A sidekick that would stun a horse. A sidekick, a sidekick that would stun a horse. There's something about when you, when it all comes out well, and it, and it, and you, and you, and you, when you're doing breaking or you're doing your 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 breaking exercises or, or you're kicking in, into the punch bag or whatever that someone else is holding, it's very like taking a very good rowing stroke. It, it, there's a poetry to it. So yes. I think I think you'll quite enjoy it. And given the length of your arms and legs, I think you'll be practically impossible to beat. You can well, basically okay. It, just it, this has crossed my mind. I've seen the knockdown competitions, which are actually remarkably brutal. Yes. Um, and as as somebody who won once, won one once, said, "Yeah, in the end, it can just come down to like abuse of the other person's soft tissues," and <laughs> uh, slightly barbaric. But there we go. That's the sport. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure necessarily if I'll, I'll take it to the, the highest levels of the combating thing, but I, I think I should like try and stretch myself in a direction that isn't just kind of how hard can I work for how long? Um, yes. I think, I think learning a new skills based sport would be, would be good. And I think something like karate, I think you'd actually really enjoy the technical aspects of it. And actually, it can be quite physically demanding. Some of the the sessions they do, yeah. So you know, go for it. Yeah, and and the and one of the one of the interesting things about living in kind of essentially, I don't live on the close coast. I live quite close to Dover, mm. but I live near what would be described as deprived coastal towns. Now, when you actually go to them, you think, oh, it's quite nice here, and there's the sea. Um, and so I, I, I think people, the people who talk about deprived coastal towns might want to visit every now and again and realise that it's like, it's really not actually an unpleasant place to live, but they have very much their own culture and their own kind of like interests. And I think one of those things is A, powerlifting and B, martial arts. Yeah, I don't think it's just uh, deprived coastal towns. I think it's deprived areas generally have have some kind of culture of weightlifting and or combat sports. Yeah, um, and and so I I definitely live in an area with a lot more dojos and a lot more boxing clubs and um, bizarrely enough uh, to like swing the gender binary the other way um, a lot more. Um, a lot more dance clubs for little girls than I'm, I've been used to up until now. Okay. Well, um, well my, I was going to offer a, a suggestion for a, a resolution if you want to add one, which is learn a musical instrument. But if you'd like to learn to dance, I'm sure that Haley wouldn't mind. Um, All men should be able to dance. I've already yes, told, I mean, I've already uh, told I, my daughters that, that... I am spending a large amount of time looking at second-hand bass guitars on uh, because I know, theoretically... The basics of bass guitar and okay. i also know that it's one of those things that you can get away with not actually having that much skill <laughs> and you can rely on someone else i mean it's, it's just one of these things i tell the kids i teach when they go off their music lessons for the oboe or the ukulele or the viola it's just like learn to play bass okay you want to be in a band okay there is, there is no future in the viola there are like six people in the country that make a living playing viola Okay, keys, bass guitar, singing. Pretty you, much, somebody will employ you. Yeah, somebody will literally say, 
Yeah, I'm not going to say you're going to make a lot of money being a bass guitarist. No, but, you know, it's kind of like somebody will chuck you 50 quid to lay down a groove for like two hours work. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, um, bass guitar always needed, covers band, three nights a week, you know, 80 quid a night. It's not glamorous, but you're going to get more work than learning violin to concert standard with all due respect to violinists who learn to concert standard because it's an incredibly difficult instrument. I'm also going to say that if you've learned violin to con concert standard, mm. your left hand is more or less doing the same thing, just pretty at a different much. angle. Pretty much. It's, and, pretty much. it's pretty much a bass guitar for posh people. Yes, but, you know, I, I do, again, I do say this to, like, kids. It's just like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you can keep going with, like, the viola, but yeah, just bass guitar. It works. Well, Good. okay. Okay. Well, now, Aaron, yes. Aaron, here's the thing. Because you, you are a man of noticeable talent on the old six-string guitar, aren't you? You, you have been known to, like, tune your guitar differently just uh -huh. to make certain difficult things easier to play. Yes. And, <laughs> you, and I have, have you actually done the thing? I think I may have seen you do the thing where you have in the middle of a song mm. adjusted the tuning yes i have done that you, you have done that too it's a little so, bit it's a, it's a little bit showy but i maintain it was the only way to play the piece at the time i i i think you're probably right now for a man such as yourself learning to play guitar is a very good idea because mm. you can do things such as adjusting the tuning yeah. of a certain string in the middle of a piece that other people would be flummoxed by Mm. For most other people who may have some not inconsiderable sort of like sense of music, learning to play the guitar to a reasonable standard if they want to play music in public, mm. would I be right in saying they're entering a very, very competitive environment? There are there are a lot of guitarists out there. They're all noisy bastards and at least half of them should be shot on that ground alone. The guitar is an incredibly difficult instrument to learn. I, I haven't learned it. I know bits and pieces about it. Um, but yes, if, if you want to, you know, do something in music, be a drummer, be a singer, learn keys, play bass, because guitarists are, are ten a penny, but good drummers are rarer than hen's teeth. People who can carry a tune, sing, and have the confidence to stand up in front of a, a pub full of people and sing, I don't know, uh, Mr. Brightside by The Killers, which always fills the dance floor, um, are few and far between. Good bass players, rarer than you think, rarer than you think, and fundamental to a good band. A good bass player and a good drummer will cover up a crap singer and a shit guitarist and still fill the dance floor because people will feel that they want to move when they've had a drink. So Yeah, yeah. I, I, but th this is the thing. I think... Even a mediocre bass player mm. who can hold a group because you can go on YouTube and you can see people doing incredibly complicated things with bass guitars. Mm. I may have mentioned to this to you, to you. There, there, there are gentlemen on YouTube who just do these fundamentally ridiculously complicated, almost on the edge of being a one man band on bass guitar. Yeah. But actually, what a good bass player does, he holds down the groove. He holds down the groove. And, he, it, I mean, maybe if you're doing Red Hot Chili Peppers covers, you, you're going to have to get funky. Possibly. Maybe, maybe if you're in a Parliament Funk covers band, <laughs> you, you are going to have to learn your slap bass. Yes. But for the vast majority of people, if you want to just like, you know, I want to I play music in front of people. Actually, bass guitar really good option because it's like you're away. Yeah, help twelve bar blues. Yeah, you are you are the glue that holds everything together, much like a good seven man would in an eight. Yes, no, it's it's an interesting one, but yes, I think definitely learning something new is always good. I think I think you really enjoy something like karate. I think squash, the only thing I'd say is at our tender age, as we get older, that kind of twisting, turning, leaning, be, you know, give give the ligaments and tendons a chance to get used to it. This this may be why I'm going into the racquetball thing. Okay. 
it, it doesn't require such dramatic changes of direction. Okay, fair enough. But yes, and learning a musical instrument, because then, you know, next time I, I come to visit and we have to play Under the Sea for your children, we can, uh, you can join in with me. So there we go. I think that that pretty much sums up this fort, fortnight's witterings. Yeah, and, and as witterings go, we do some of the best witterings that are out there. So, you know, please like, subscribe and buy us a coffee because, well... Lewin isn't sleeping, I'm not sleeping, so what's one more coffee among friends? Indeed. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Stroke side holding, bow side out. <laughs>